Welcome back to the Bindman's Archives. I'm John Crocker, and today we are joined by Jeffrey Bindman to discuss another case that was in the headlines. Jeffrey, can you tell us about the Goldsmith v. Private Eye case and your involvement? Private Eye was another. I mean, see, these cases, the ones I've mentioned up to now, they were headline news. They were front page stories in all the newspapers. And that was true of the, of the Goldsmith one, Goldsmith and Private Eye, because Goldsmith was a billionaire. I mean, he was a very rich businessman. He, he was a supermarket or grocery tycoon, you know. Very unpleasant man, bully, thug. And he was also well known as a gambler. And he, he was an old Etonian and he mixed with a lot of people who played these gambling games in the clubs and St. James's and very rich playboys, really. And Private Eye made a lot of fun of him, which he didn't like at all. And they were constantly making jokes about him. They called him Golden Balls. That was the, uh, the nickname. <laughs> and he was determined to shut down Private Eye. He, he was furious with Private Eye for some of the things they said about him. And eventually he launched a number of libel cases against Private Eye. One of the key complaints he had about Private Eye was to do with the disappearance of Lord Lucan. Lord Lucan was another of these playboys, you know, a friend of Goldsmith. And he disappeared, having murdered a, a young woman who worked for him and his wife, who was a sort of nanny for his uh, children. I mean, the, the, the story is, you know, he was drunk and he came home and he thought he was attacking his wife and he attacked his girl. And, and then he disappeared and he's never been seen since. Nobody knows what happened to him. There have been various stories about him leaving the country and changing his appearance and other stories about him having drowned off Beachy Head and so on. There are all sorts of stories. Books have been written about him. But of course, he disappeared after his murder. Nobody ever knew what happened to him. And Private Eye wrote a story in which they talked about a lunch that had taken place among people who were his old friends, including Goldsmith. And the story was that these people at this lunch had planned to help Lucan to escape and get away. And Goldsmith claimed he was never at that lunch, so he reckoned he'd been libeled by his story. So he, that was one case he brought against Private Eye. And there were a couple of other cases, but he was determined to get Private Eye and close them down. So he issued a libel writ against the uh, editors and publishers of Private Eye. But he also did something which no one had ever done before. He issued a whole lot of different libel writs against the distributors and shops who had sold Private Eye. Because theoretically, a libel is committed not just by the person who actually writes or invents or originates the story, but also by anyone who circulates it or distributes it. So if you are libeled by the Daily Mail, theoretically, or at least it was believed at the time, you could sue every news agent in the country who was selling the Daily Mail with a libelous story in it about you, and they would all be liable to pay damages. That was the theory anyway. So this was the basis on which Goldsmith brought something like 75 different libel actions against Private Eye. So this again was a, a huge media story, especially as it very much involved the media. 
I remember the news agents were, were so upset by this that they called a meeting of, of all the news agent associations took place in a big hall, and I had to go along and address this mass meeting and explain to all these news agents why they were being sued and what they could do about it. And in the end, of course, private eye, legally liable anyway, but they, they had to say, if you are found liable in order to pay damages to Goldsmiths, we will, we will fund, we will back you up, we will indemnify you. So I, I had to go along and promise them that uh, private eye would find the money somehow to bail them all out if they if they were found liable. And Private Eye then started a fund, which they called the Golden Balls Fund, to raise money to pay for all these damages in, just in case they had to pay them. But of course, meanwhile, they were contesting the case and saying that it was wrong to sue. It was wrong to use as an abusive process to bring all these multiple cases against all these abuse agents. So that was a major court case. We won the case at two levels, and then they went to the Court of Appeal. And Lord Denning, he was the master of the roles. He was a very famous judge. He was, he was very well-known publicly, much more than most judges are, because he was quite a humorous character, and quite original, and quite liberal-minded, very decent. And, and in the Court of Appeal, he gave judgment in our favour. He said, you know, this was an abuse to, to issue all these writs. It was necessary because Goldsmith had a remedy against the publishers of Private Eye. So he, he didn't need one against all the news agents as well. But then the other two judges, because it was a three-person court, they ruled against Private Eye. So by majority of two to one, we lost that case and he was allowed to carry on with his libel actions. However, an unusual, an odd thing happened after that. Goldsmith decided he wanted to be a newspaper man himself, and he wanted to buy the Daily Express, which apparently was available for sale. And he was told by the journalists of the Daily Express that they wouldn't work for him so long as he was suing private eye. So he was forced, because of wanting to buy the Express, to reach a settlement with Private Eye. So we were able to settle the case on a very, very modest term. We simply paid a small sum of money towards costs and we published a, a kind of half-baked apology. Would you say there was any long-term impact of the Goldsmith case and did it set any precedent? In a way, it helped towards reform of libel law. Afterwards, the media claimed that libel law was too strict and they got some relaxation of libel law after that. I mean, libel law was extremely tough at the time of Goldsmith because if you were accused of libel, the burden was on you to prove that the story that you were telling was true. And the press were always very upset about the restrictions of libel law because they felt they argued that it was reduced to free speech and life more difficult for them. So to some extent, the Goldsmith case, because it made libel law much more popularly known and so much written about it, that it probably led to reforms of libel law being made less strict, if you like, greater freedom of expression. So what ended up happening to Goldsmith? Did he purchase the Daily Express? Oh, no, that was the irony. Although he settled a case in order to buy the, the Express, eventually he never bought it. I don't, I don't quite know why. Maybe he wasn't willing to pay enough for it or whatever. No, he never did. I mean, he didn't live that much longer after that. 
Thanks, Jeffrey. Another interesting case. Join us next time to hear about how Bindman's cases have continued to set precedents and advance the law.